morning. Once more, as Ramal mentioned, I did do something to my back last week. It's been about a week. So as a result, the lesson will be just a tiny bit shorter. Uh, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but I've, I've done acupuncture, acupressure, chiropractor, everything else, cupping, and uh, there's still a bit of pain. So if, if I'm, I am asking if you could pray because Megan and I travel to Panama at the end of September, and there's no way I'm getting on a plane like this. So please pray. The chiropractor says he can sort it out um, by the end of the month, and prayerfully he can. But what, what is good is that I can stand fine. And so since I talk and stand, that's all good. But if I sit down, that's when it hurts. So don't ask me to sit down because I, I won't talk to you. I just, I just won't do it. Uh, but just wanted to let you know that's what's going on in case you... And, and so I am uh, on medication as well. So if something comes flying out, this sounds outlandish. Uh, please excuse it. And John Atkins, if you could edit it out of the podcast. That'd be great. But I do love being a dad as well. You notice the shirt, Top Dad. And, and, I, and, and guess what? I finally gave in and we bought a dog. I did. Yeah, super dad. So Lelise has been asking for four years. Four years. And when she originally asked, I said, when you turn 16. And then a couple years later, I said, okay, when you turn 10. And then if I said, okay, she's almost eight, and we'll get a doll. So we have a little dog now, so um, gave in. But dads, dads say lots of things, uh, but there are things that you'll never hear dads say. Right? So just, just to give you an idea, let's take a look at this video and look at a few things that you'll never hear dads actually say. So, of course, there are things that, that you would never hear fathers say. And in a similar way, there are things you'd never hear the Holy Spirit say. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 13, and we'll continue our study of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 12. I'll pray, and then we'll read these passages together and talk about three things that you'd never hear the Holy Spirit say. God, we're grateful to come before you and take communion as a family, and we pray that as we read your scriptures that your spirit really does activate our minds and hearts and call us to action uh, as, as a family of believers and for help, help us to really reach this, this city and this country and this world with your message that brings hope. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So starting in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And this is a diverse group of people. They, they, they think that Simeon is from Africa, Lucius is from Cyrene, Manian, he was a friend of Herod. That's the Herod that killed John the Baptist. And then you've got Barnabas. And then you've got Saul. So this is quite a diverse group of people. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. When it brings people together, it produces a diverse church. And it's also interesting that back in chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas are the guys that went to Antioch and taught the church for a whole year. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas hears about what's going on. He goes and finds Paul or Saul and brings him to Antioch and they teach the whole church for a year. So they have two main leaders. But now... 
it's blossomed to five guys. And so that's a healthy sign that the Spirit's really working here. It's not just Paul. It's not just Barnabas. It's a wide range of people that are helping lead the church. And, and I think that's, that's what we want in our church as well, right? We want people always rising up, filling these positions, especially the young men and women, to go into the full-time ministry. And in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's, that's crazy because that's like their two best guys. And, and the church still survives, it still functions, and it still grows, which is a testament to say, when you, when you give, you give your best, and God still blesses you. Yeah. And in verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on him, on them, and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at the Salamos, oh no, sorry, when they arrived at Salamas, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, essentially translates to son of Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Ilimas, the sorcerer, that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Ilimas and said, Hey, do you mind packing up your magic show and just taking it aside for a second? You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And perhaps Paul's saying, that's what changed Paul's life, this blinding. It gave him time to reflect and consider and, and eventually repent. Perhaps he thinks, hey, if, if the same thing happens to you, there's an opportunity where you can reflect and repent. It doesn't say if he does, so we never know. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And so here in these 12 verses, we, we have the really first deliberate mission trip. If, if reading through the book of Acts, the church starts to spread mainly because of persecution. They're all kind of huddled in Jerusalem. Stephen gets killed and they scatter everywhere. So it's not really strategic. It's not really deliberate. It's not really intentional. But now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, I'm setting apart two guys for a very strategic missionary journey. So it's important that that's what's happening. And so clearly Luke in this text is drawing attention to the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in verse 2. The Holy Spirit speaks. We don't know how. It spoke if it was through the prophets, if it was through the teachers, if it was through an audible voice. But they all seem to agree the Spirit has spoken. And then in verse 3 again, the Spirit is the one that sends Paul and Barnabas on its way. And then the closing of this journey, if you look at verse 48, we'll read that and talk about our three points. Verse 48, they go through and, and of the first leg of this missionary journey. 
And in verse 48, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So several times in this, in this missionary journey, Luke is saying, the Holy Spirit did this, and filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul did this, and the Holy Spirit did this, and, and then the Holy Spirit did this. And I, I think, it, just as a general idea, we have to be comfortable with talking about the Holy Spirit, right? I think sometimes we can shy back, we don't really know how it works and operates, but when the Bible talks about it, we got to talk about it. And there's, there are some things in this passage that you'll never hear the Holy Spirit say. The first thing you'll never hear it say is, I'm looking for people who are just sitting around doing nothing. Why do I say that? Look at verse 2, because this is the context of the missionary journey being sent out. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. So, when you hear the word worship, what do you normally think of? Singing. I mean, that's kind of a contemporary idea where let's praise and worship. And, and, and so, but it's not like they were just singing and fasting. The word, the word here used in the Greek is liturgeo, which means they're doing ministry. They're actually active. They're involved. They're engaged. It's the same word that appears in Hebrews 10, verse 11. Day after day, the priest stands and performs the one word in capital letters is that same word, worship, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. So there's the idea. They're not just like singing and having a good time, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on them. The church, the prophets, the teachers, they're engaged. They're involved. They're doing ministry. They're working. And in that context of doing this ministry and fasting, then the Holy Spirit speaks. And so this is a pattern that emerges in here, but also throughout the Bible. If you think about the characters that get called by God, they're not just kind of standing around waiting for something to happen. You know the story of Moses, right? He gets started, and, and, and it's not a good start, but he's, he's acting. He sees people in an argument. He intervenes and kills the guy, which that, that's not an advocation for killing people, but at least he was doing something. It was the wrong thing, but then shortly after, God calls him to go and save Israel. The disciples in Mark chapter 1, the two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John. In Mark verse 1, verse 16 through 20, Peter and Andrew are fishermen and they're casting their nets. They're not just sitting there hoping to catch fish. James and John, likewise, it says they're mending their nets. And that's, that's a kind of activity that after you finish, you prepare your net to get it ready for the next time you go out. So after they've done their work, they're, they're good hard workers. They're doing something with their nets to prepare them to get ready. Think about Philip in the, in the book of Acts. He goes to Samaria and he's preaching the word. And in that context, the Holy Spirit says, Philip, go to the desert road. Now go up to that chariot. Now go have a Bible study with him. And so in all, all throughout the scripture, there's this theme. If, 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 if you want the Holy Spirit to be activated in your life, then take a step and do something. Even if you don't know what you're doing, but it's within that context that the Holy Spirit starts to activate. So he, the Holy Spirit never says, I'm just looking for somebody sitting around doing nothing. I'm looking for people who are doing something and I want to fill them with my spirit. 
and I want to get them going. I want to activate them. I want to help them perform a spiritual task. Now, I think it, the Holy Spirit has this kind of mysterious flavor to it. It's, it's almost like when people say, you know, the Spirit told me, or I'm waiting for the Spirit, or it's almost like you're sitting in a room meditating with incense and candles burning, and then it fills you and you perform some spiritual task, right? Like, oh, I was filled with the Spirit, but, but it's not like you're just waiting for it to do something. You're doing something already. And the Holy Spirit helps engage. And it also means that, that there's a process here, because in verse 2, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell them what they're going to do. It just says, set apart these two guys to the work which I've called them. All right, so that's their mission. Okay, well, what is that work? What are we, do, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And so to, to really be in step with the Spirit, it's an obedience. It's a process of obedience, really. You may not know what the first step is, but you go, and then, okay, now you're going to go to Seleucia, and now you're going to go to here. And so there, there's this idea that once the Spirit gives us something to do, you just keep obeying, even if you don't know the whole picture. The Holy, the Holy Spirit, is on, He gives you instruction on a need-to-know basis, basically. All you need to know is you're going on a mission. And now all you need to know is you're going to an island. And now all you need to know is you're going here. And so all along the way, you find these guys being guided by the Spirit. It's a really simple point, but if you want the Holy Spirit to be activated in your life, then be active. Be active. Get out there and do something and let the Holy Spirit fill you and drive you to do ministry. The second thing you'll never hear the Holy Spirit say is this. I'll remain silent while others oppose the truth. Look in verse 8. This is a wild interaction here. Again, I, I've said this before, but I would have loved to see these scenes played out in a television series. This, I mean, this guy's a sorcerer and he's counseling or giving guidance to Sergius Paulus. So he's, he's probably a magician that tells the future or, or thinks he can tell the future or is trying to pretend like he knows the future or, or something along those lines. And he's trying to instruct this guy and give him guidance for his politics. But then Barnabas and Paul show up and, and this guy says, hey, I'd like to hear what they have to say. And in verse 8, Elimus the sorcerer, sorcerer opposed them and tried to turn the pro-council from the faith. I mean, this is like, this is a very deliberate thing he's doing. It's not like the, the pro-council says, I'm not really interested. This guy is, is actively saying, don't listen to these guys. He's opposing them, and he's trying to turn them from the faith. And so in response to this, verse 9 it says, Paul, and it's an important phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Matt, if you take that phrase out of there and you read it like this, then Saul, who was called Paul, said, you're a child of the devil. That sounds harsh. Well, it sounds harsh either way you read it, right? But it, but it sounds harsh. Like if, if, if you were to be studying the Bible with one of your friends and their friend says, oh, you don't need to believe in God. You don't need to go to church. And, and you said, you son of the devil, you enemy of everything right. You are full of villainy and deceit and wickedness. Like you'd be like, whoa, dude, take it easy. Right. That sounds way harsh, doesn't it? But that's what the Holy Spirit says to this guy who's opposing the faith. And that's an important phrase because the Holy Spirit reacts strongly 
to those who oppose truth. He doesn't just sit idly by and say, I'm going to remain silent. The Holy Spirit will say something. And in this case, it's very, it's very harsh words, but it's all designed to confront Elimas in hopes that he repents. Now, what's interesting is that it does give us the details that he's a Jewish sorcerer in verse 6. I mean, that, that may not mean anything to you, but it's important in the Bible because in Judaism, you can't be a Jew and be a sorcerer. That's like, it doesn't work, right? It's banned. You can't, you can't follow God and practice sorcery. So there's something about this guy who thinks... Uh, it must be okay to practice sorcery. So he has this kind of willingness to engage other ideas. Everything's good. Everything's all right. And, and, but when Paul speaks to him, he says, you are an enemy of everything right. And, and you've got to imagine that you know, this guy thinks, hey, everything's okay. Everybody's all right. And Paul says, no, that's not true. The Holy Spirit will oppose you. Now, there's a similar opposition in Galatians. When Peter and Paul meet, and Peter is eating with the Gentiles, but when Paul comes, he kind of stops eating with them. And that same word, it says, Paul opposed Peter to his face. He says, you're not doing what's right. So in both these instances, we see that when people aren't lined up with the truth, the Holy Spirit kicks into gear and says, no, you got to straighten it out. And as a result of this, it's, and you have to imagine the, the, the pro-counsel's reaction too. He says, man, I don't want to be a part of this. This guy's hardcore. But after hearing that, and after he's blinded, it says he believed. And he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit reacted strongly, it wasn't like it turned away somebody who was interested. It actually helped convert them. Yeah. And that's an important as well. And so I think, I think we have to be okay with the Holy Spirit giving us a bit of an edge. Does that make sense, right? Because yeah. I think that sometimes, at least in my processing of the Holy Spirit, there's an idea that it makes you kind of a nice guy who floats around with angels on your shoulders. And that's not always the case, but in here, it gives you a bit of an edge to confront things that aren't true, to confront people who are opposing truth. In other words, it's okay to allow the Spirit to create a little tension. It's okay to have an edge when people aren't aligning themselves with truth. And that can be to people outside of the church. And when you reach out to people and they have this kind of, hey, you know what? Everybody's okay. All roads lead to God. That's when the Holy Spirit should kick in and say, that's not true. Jesus said he's the only way. And, and, and And if he's not the only way, then he's a lunatic because he spilled his blood for all of humanity. It's okay to have an edge and allow the Spirit to kick in into gear. It's not okay to sit back and remain silent while others oppose the truth. It also happens inside the church. That's what happened to Peter and Paul. Paul sees, hey, it's not working out. You're not living in line with the gospel. Opposition kicks in. And I think we have to do it with wisdom and, and, and out of love. But there are times when the Holy Spirit prompts us to confront one another. And it does create tension. And it does have a little bit of edge. But that's what the Spirit does. It creates that so that we can change. I think it happens when you have close friends in the church and you know something's going on in their life, but you're so close to them that you're afraid to speak up. Because you don't want to ruin the friendship. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to make them upset. You don't want to make them angry. You want to maintain everything and be all good. But if there's something off in your friend's life, the Spirit can't sit idly by. 
It needs to say something. I think it happens in marriages too when husbands and wives, one of them is kind of not doing well and the other knows it, but they don't blow the whistle because they don't want to rock the boat. But when when things aren't going well, the Holy Spirit can't sit idly by, right? It has to oppose something. And and I think we have to come to the terms that, that the Holy Spirit has a bit of an edge to it at times. Not always. It's not like you go around saying everybody's a son of the devil and full of villainy. And the Holy Spirit produces love and concern and compassion as well. But in this passage, the Holy Spirit has a bit of an edge. And that's what Paul's giving to this guy. And praise God for that because the proconsul sees it, is amazed at the teaching of the Lord, and believes. One thing you'll never hear the Holy Spirit say is, I think I'll remain silent while others oppose the truth. Lastly, You'll never hear the Holy Spirit say, I'll just let my people stay discouraged during difficulties. I'll just let them be down and out, depressed and discouraged. Look at verse 50 of chapter 13. During this missionary journey, they are spreading the gospel over the whole region. And the word of the Lord spreads through the region as well. But in verse 50, the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. That's a strong, they forced them out. And as a result, in verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is a great passage because there's this opposition that comes in. They get kicked out of town and they kind of do this gesture that was known in Judaism where they kind of shake the dust as if to say, you know what? None of this is going to stick with me. None of this is going to cling to me. You're responsible now, but what you're trying to do, I'm just, I'll be fine. I'm going to shake it off and I'm going to go to the next city. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to mope. And then the very next verse, 52 says, the disciples were filled with joy. And with the Holy Spirit. So even in the midst of this persecution, being kicked out of town, the Spirit says, hey, I'm not going to let you stay discouraged. I'm going to fill you with joy. That's very important because the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to stay discouraged, to stay down. He wants to kick in and fill us with joy, even in the midst of hard times. I think it happens on an individual and a church level as well. When you're going through difficult times, the Holy Spirit's ready to kick in. To help you engage with that difficulty, with that problem or that scenario, so that you can be filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. I think essentially it gives us a tough skin. And I I know for me, there have been times where I've been too easily discouraged, too easily disappointed, and too easily depressed about something that's going on or something that's not going on. And those are the very moments when the Spirit's supposed to kick in and help us understand, hey, there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger picture, I'm not going to let you stay discouraged. In some sense, we need to have skin like the armadillo and the crocodile. Those are like tough-skinned animals. They, they fashion body armor after those animals for a reason, because they have thick skin. And I don't mean thick skin in a negative way, but the Holy Spirit kind of gives us this, this idea that nothing's going to prevent us from being joyful. Nothing's going to bring us down. Nothing's going to shake our mood. Nothing's going to change our attitude because the Spirit doesn't allow us to stay discouraged during difficult times. When Jesus sends out his disciples, he says, you're going to be sheep among wolves. 
that's a task that requires a bit of thick skin, doesn't it? He's not saying, I'm going to send you out, and the first sermon you preach, everybody's going to say, amen. The first Bible study you have, they're going to say, I want to become a Christian, and the first person you meet is going to say, tell me more about God. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And, and the Holy Spirit kicks in, and, and, and all through the Gospels, you'll see when they, get, when they get in these tight spots, Jesus even says, when you come before the synagogues and the rulers, that's when the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow us to be discouraged during difficult times. You know, just as we watched the video in the very beginning, the fathers would never say those things, and some of those are very comical. Just like I said, you'll never have a dog till, <laughs> till four years later. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit wants to help us. It wants us to be engaged because the Holy Spirit's not waiting for someone just to sit down and do nothing. It's waiting for us as individuals and as a church to keep moving forward. And I believe our church is. And, 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 but we all need to be sensitive to the Spirit so that we can follow its guidance and follow its direction. And there's probably somebody that you're thinking about, ah, you know what, I need to confront in a loving way. Let the Spirit prompt you. Because that confrontation is healthy. If the tension, it, tension is healthy, if it produces change and it produces repentance, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to sit idly by. And lastly, don't be discouraged. Shake the dust and let the Spirit give you courage during your difficult times. And if we continue to live like that, the word of the Lord will spread throughout our region and the disciples, and we'll be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.